0: Hello and welcome to episode 30 of COMF-T with your SE, recorded Monday, April 6, 2020. A quick reminder the thoughts and opinions expressed here are our own, and to please consult with Cisco TAC or Cisco Certified Partners before implementing any of the recommendations made on the show. This week's episode is going to be on segment routing, specifically in the IPv6 space. Uh, definitely something different than what we're used to talking about, we uh, had the opportunity to speak with uh, Doug McDougal, and he is, well, he'll introduce himself in the segment. Unfortunately, Brian Boyd wasn't able to join us either uh, on the intro here or during the interview. He had a couple uh, emergency situations with some customers to deal with. So, uh, But he does say hello to everyone, and of course, we hope that everyone is doing well, uh, as well as can be during this time. Of course, a reminder that Cisco is here to help if there's anything that we can do to uh, help through the situation in terms of temporary licensing for additional AnyConnect units or uh, configurations with uh, your ASAs or whatever you have for VPN head ends, please reach out to your account team. Uh, we are here to help you guys and get you guys uh, through this through this time. So without further ado, I will go ahead and kick us off over to that interview. Hey, Bruce, thanks for, uh, for joining us today. How are you doing?
1: Doing great. Great to see you, Brian. How you do?
0: Great to see you, too. Um, Bruce, you were uh, kind enough to join us uh, from our previous uh, conversation with um, Von Swazo, who, uh, who uh, recommended you to speak to us about segmented routing. But before we get into that, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience, uh, kind of uh, your, who you are, where you're from, what you do at Cisco?
1: Sure. Uh, well, I'm a systems architect at Cisco, uh, based in Seattle, and I work in the, uh, the the sales organization that that supports service provider and also like the large web companies, the big cloud operators. So, as a systems architect, I'm similar to a pre-sales SE, kind of a, a resource to the pre-sales SEs, in that I, I focus on some specific technology areas, such as segment routing. Um, mm-hmm. I've been doing this with Cisco for a few years now, kind of had roles both in web as well as in like regular service provider. Um, Prior to coming to Cisco, I worked in the operator space. I had a a couple of different jobs at different uh, network operators, both in web space and service provider space as well. So um, I I got to enjoy being a a network engineer and then came over to the vendor side and try to and love working with network engineers from this side as well.
0: Nice. And uh, you said you said you have been with Cisco for how long now? Uh, 11 years. 11 years. Now, and, and all that time you've been in a service provider or mm-hmm. you've kind of jumped around. Nice. So your um your expertise, it sounds like, is segmented routing. Uh, now, for people like myself that have really never heard the term, uh, let alone used it, um, mm-hmm. Can you kind of give us an overview, what, what is segmented routing? Where does it fit? Kind of what, what does it do? What is it?
1: Yeah. Segment routing is a, uh, a transport technology that's emerged in the last few years. And it's basically kind of a, um, it, it's, it's an evolution of MPLS, if you will. So okay. MPLS, service provider technology for doing transport, uh, you encapsulate traffic in MPLS labels and send it across the service provider network segment routing it reuses the same data plane mpls labels but a, a different control plane essentially it does the label distribution via uh, isis or ospf so you no longer need uh, the ldp protocol
0: okay and i mean where if it's an evolution or kind of a the next <clears throat> phase of mpls where do you primarily mm-hmm. see uh, customers deploying segment routing <clears throat>
1: We've seen it a lot, well, in, in service provider and in web, um, a, a couple of the large cloud operators as well as just large web companies, are, they'll, they'll have their own private global backbone networks um, and they'll run uh, segment routing transport across that. They They're often, a number of them are kind of have been in a pivot or migration from like an LDP, RSVP type of transport network to segment routing. Uh, same with in service provider, um, <clears throat> migrating either their their core sort of national or global transport networks from uh, an LDP type transport to segment routing, sometimes also in metro networks. Um, okay. we, we've seen some deployments in in large enterprise as well, where um, generally it's it's a company that kind of owns their own transport network as opposed to you know, leasing a say a VPN from a service provider.
0: Interesting. And it's, it's funny because in, in my line of work, we have a lot of our customers getting away from MPLS, right? Because mm-hmm. of the cost or the, the low bandwidth, right, and for, for them and going to things like SD-WAN and direct internet connection. Um, mm-hmm. But it sounds like mm-hmm. in service provider, because this is a different train altogether, it's just something that people are going towards, uh, segment routing.
1: <clears throat> um yeah, the service provider themselves, they've they've operated their own MPLS network for, you know, maybe a decade or two. And and at the ex- extremities of that given service provider network, they'll have peering points where they connect to the internet. But that's kind of like, you know, there's that which is the, the service provider network and then that which is external. So mm-hmm. internally they'll run MPLS. And then the big web operators, they they say maybe a decade ago were Uh, customers of MPLS VPNs and rather than you know SD-WAN didn't exist back then Um, and given their just massive bandwidth requirements they started pivoting to they would just lease fiber or lease uh, like optical wavelengths and build their own like MPLS transport over that.
0: It's it's mind-blowing. So one of the things that um, Vaughn had mentioned that you would be especially helpful in talking to us about today is segment routing with uh, ipv6 um mm-hmm. can you give us kind of an idea of some of the the caveat well first of all um <clears throat> let's talk about the differences between ipv4 and ipv6 just from kind of your standpoint right in the in the service provider standpoint when you're talking about mm-hmm. either isps or, or large cloud organizations um what what are some <clears throat> of the things that they're looking at now with ipv6
1: Sure. Uh, Well, the the first thing that comes to mind is the address space is just so much larger. Uh, It's a it's 128 bit address, whereas an IPv4 address is 32 bits, Um, and it's also frankly like just transitioning as a network engineer from being very IPv4 centric, you know, a few years ago to working quite a bit in IPv6. just getting used to sort of staring at IPv6 addresses and having that feel natural actually takes a while. Um,
0: that does, does that natural <clears throat> kind of, does it look natural ever or does that ever come? Cause I look at it now and it just, yeah. I, I want <clears throat> to cry into a corner. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, it, it, it gets there eventually where it starts to okay. look look natural, at least more natural. I mean, a V4 address is nice and easy, uh, but I've <clears throat> after a few years, it feels more natural at least. Um, yeah, so it's a massive address space, um, and how it, let's say, how it interacts with the the control plane. Um, a lo- most service providers and web big web companies use ISIS for their routing protocol. Um, mm-hmm. A big reason for that is ISIS um, basically is is dual stack inherently, whereas OSPF. Uh, there's you know OSPF v two and OSPF v three, one for v four address space and one for v6 address space. So ISIS, there's just ISIS, one of them. So that's it's very helpful. It's a nice operational simplification. Uh, there's a couple other knobs in there that it's not v6 or v4 related. It's just ISIS does it. Um, so the the routing protocol itself, distribution of, of v6 addresses, you know, works just the same as distribution of v4 routes or prefixes. Um, and then as Traffic is encapsulated in in a V6 source and destination header. Uh, It's just a much it's a much bigger header than the V4 header. Um, It's you know a little bit more than twice the size. So there's a bit more overhead there. Um,
0: Hmm.
1: With V6, it's it has kind of the same sort of benefits of V4 routing in that you can you get uh, great route summarization with IPv6 routing. So uh, instead of summarizing, say at a slash twenty or a slash sixteen as you would with v4, uh, you summar, summarize at a slash sixty-four or at a slash ninety-six or a slash forty-eight. So it's just right. you know larger net masks. Um, that's that's how we keep a, a v6 routing table down. Um, there's some other cool stuff in the V6 header that's helpful. There's a flow label um, that contributes to like hardware ECMP hashing. Um, And then other than that, it it is really very much like, like V4, like you can do uh, IPV6 GRE and stuff like that. Um, And then SRV6 adds a whole bunch onto it. So I'm not sure if you're ready to go into that, or if you want to do a little bit more segment routing or, or yeah, I mean jump let's, right in.
0: let's let's jump right in. We'll we'll, we'll circle back to IPv6 uh, after the fact, but yeah, I mean let's let's start, jump right into it.
1: <clears throat> okay. Well, s- segment routing V6 or SRV6 is is taking the, the concepts that emerge out of segment routing itself and MPLS and you know and, and being able to create through a, an encapsulation like a virtual topology like a VPN or or even with MPLS and segment routing like a, a custom traffic engineered path where you can steer traffic through the network with a like a label combination mm-hmm. or you know a stack of labels <clears throat> with SRV6 essentially those sim- similar kind of use cases you can build those similar use cases where you can Take, say, a customer's traffic and put it inside a SRV6 header. And that SRV6 header might be for a VPN. So you could create a, the equivalent of an MPLS, like a layer three VPN, with an SRV6 encapsulation. Or you could do like a custom traffic steering where you, um, with that SRV6 header, it denotes essentially kind of a set of instructions for how the traffic should traverse the network. Um, with Segment routing and MPLS, you know, you've got this thirty-two bit um, header that is a, a label labeled instruction. Um, with SRv6, it's it's quite a bit bigger. You've got a an IPv six header which is forty bytes, and the, the destination address itself, the one hundred twenty eight bits that is that destination address, is actually the thing that sort of denotes whether you know it's a VPN a VPN encapsulation or if it's like a traffic steering encapsulation. And then we add. Oh, actually, go ahead. I think you had a question.
0: No, I was. I was just going to ask. Kind of what is the, what is really the benefit of doing something like traffic steering? Uh, I mean, I, I suppose this is why things like MPLS and segment routing exist, right? What mm-hmm. What are the benefits mm-hmm. of doing those kind of, uh, um, those kind of things and, and those kind of uh, labels?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great question. in In the case of service provider, they might want to create a a differentiated service where they could sell to their. Let's say they've got a, a high value customer that has a specific class of traffic that they've deemed like must get through and must take the the lowest latency path, and then they've got other traffic that they've deemed you know less <clears throat> less important. So, a service provider, you know they. They'll do use QoS features and stuff like that to create differentiated services. But you can also do a path-based service with, say, MPLS labels or with SRv6. So this, let's say, custom uh, low latency path, or you know, custom path that has like X amount of bandwidth reserved. It would be <clears throat> its label stack would steer it specifically, let's say, from router one to router four to router seven. Through the network and avoiding, say, the congested routers like three and six, something mm-hmm. like that.
0: Interesting. So yes, go on. Sorry, thank you for thank you okay. for answering that.
1: Yeah. Well, and actually, that's the great lead into what the two, the two technologies do. the The traffic steering kinds of use cases are <clears throat> some of the most important for for segment routing and SRv6. Um, the big web operators, they actually. <clears throat> one of their you know we get into SDN sort of kinds of things here where um, the number kind of one the number one SDN use case in web is to take traffic that is lower priority and steer it away from the best path so it's almost like you want to reserve the routing protocol's best path for generally the routing protocol's best path is probably you know the the objectively best path in the network from point a to point c usually and so if all the traffic is taking the best path, then lower priority traffic can, you know, either potentially starve out high priority traffic, or you simply have to keep adding capacity to the best path. And if you've got non-best paths that are underutilized, and you can use like kind of an SDN sort of steering technique where you put segment routing labels on the on the traffic, you can actually steer it around or away from the best path and then preserve the best path for the most important traffic.
0: So really just kind of balancing the load across the entire network and and utilizing even some of the not so best paths and not as desired paths, uh, especially for the lower, lower priority traffic, just so that you're not killing those, uh, those pipelines that are required should a, you know, a big 4k Netflix special come out next week. Right.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Balancing is the perfect word for it. There's, you know, we kind of jokingly say like, "There's the traffic we really, really care about, and then there's the traffic that we still care quite a bit about, but a little bit less about, and that traffic right. can be moved off." Yeah,
0: interesting. And there's so many things that <laughs> flowing in my mind about you know, okay, it's based on who uh, who pays the most amount monthly, how much bandwidth they pay for, <laughs> stuff like that. I'm I'm sure there's stuff, some of that <clears> behind <throat> the scenes, but I, I, won't, uh, <laughs> I won't I won't won't pretend to get into that. Um mm-hmm. So. When, when companies are making this shift over to uh, IPv6, specifically SRv6, mm-hmm. um, what what are they using to determine what what kind of paths are they are they taking? What things are they looking at when it comes to migrating from v four to v six or MPLS to SRv six?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the two kind of Foundational pieces that would drive the requirement would be: is the <clears throat> is the network operator, or network owner, uh, are they transporting like multi-tenant services, i.e., you know, VPNs of some sort,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and also are they doing any kind of like tricks to separate traffic using like encapsulating the traffic in different headers, like like MPLS or like segment routing. So if they're doing those two things then um, segment routing is a natural move from MPLS. Um, and there may not be a, a need to move from like, normal segment routing to SRV6. S- SRV6 comes into play if then you add the, a third requirement of like, need, just gigantic scale in, uh, right. in endpoints and in like, steering capabilities. So with, with MPLS, with segment routing, um, just the label space itself, the, there's, there's a million labels in the in the label space. And you can do tricks to scale that where you can kind of put a, a stack of labels, multiple, so you can uh, grow beyond, say, a million. Um, but you don't get any summarization with, uh, with labels, with labels with ipv6 you do get summarization so now if you've got a million endpoints in say uh, a given metropolitan area uh, that million you don't you don't need to advertise you know, to other metropolitan areas all million endpoints you just advertise a single ipv6 subnet and and that's how reachability can be established. <clears throat> and so this comes into play with like service provider net, mobile networks, like 5G networks and
0: right.
1: attaching IOT devices to those networks. So I think IOT is going is to be, if not already uh, heavily IPv6, it's going to be.
0: Yeah, we had a, a great interview when uh, we were covering Cisco Impact Uh some of the p- players that were working in the IoT space specifically, mm-hmm. um, they were talking about these edge computing devices that they can put into um, traffic light controller boxes for cameras. Where mm-hmm. They have multiple cameras mm-hmm. at an intersection. They have the edge computing device sitting there and aggregating all the video streams into that one device to calculate things oh, yeah. like utilization, stuff like that, uh, to adjust the flow of cars and adjust the traffic light schedules and Mm -hmm. that of course Mm -hmm. you think of how many intersections are in a city and then how many are in a county and on and on and on it it sounds (laughs) like ipv6 makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. there um Mm -hmm. taking shifting it down a little bit though for i I came from k12 before starting at cisco and one of the things that i was looking into just briefly was uh switching us over from ipv4 to ipv6 Mm -hmm. and um (laughs) Just started doing a little bit of research on it and quickly moved on to other things. But when we're looking at customers that have a couple thousand endpoints, you know, a company like Cisco, right? Uh, 70,000, 90,000 employees, you know, many devices. Mm -hmm. When you're looking at those kind of companies, obviously it doesn't make sense for the smaller companies to move to IPv6 yet. But when is kind Mm -hmm. of that point when it makes sense for a company to move over... From IPv4 to IPv6, or is it really just the number of uh, public addresses they need?
1: I think, I think number of public addresses is probably a big, <clears throat> a big piece, uh, especially for the the people part of the network, if you will, like the, the actual enterprise and the, the end users being able to, um, you know how they attach to like a given Wi-Fi environment or or whatever. Um, yeah, for the people part of the network, it's private IPv4 space is probably just fine for the foreseeable future. And, yeah. and it very much is kind of a, a public space scale thing.
0: That's, that's kind need. of what I've seen. Because I've, I've seen mm-hmm. my, my mobile device get an IPv6 address on the mm-hmm. mobile network, yeah. which makes sense, right? Uh, and I've seen um, my home my home modem I'll allow myself to get an ipv6 but if i don't have anything uh, you know further down that's taking it then mm-hmm. it's it's not going to use it everything everything yeah. with ipv4 is going to work just fine as long as we continue to have nat and then of course ipv6 to ipv4 conversions right i mean there's there's really no need in from what you can see today for the private space to go ipv6
1: i i don't think so um as you know as long as your your sd wan um Units can, uh, can t- like tunnel that private IPv4 stuff over, say, IPv6 public IPv6 networks. Um, at least for the foreseeable future, I don't think private V4 is going away. Um, yeah, where that, where V6 is needed, <laughs> that, <laughs> right? that's a relief, man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that is a relief. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a scary thing. I the, the one thing I do remember when I was when I was talking to our. Um, our provider, which was the Connecticut Education Network. Because um, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to talk with them. I said, hey, listen, what do we need to do? Right, We're 3,000 users. We're uh, you know, 1,500, 2,000 devices. I'd like to be able to look towards the future and kind of get ourselves prepared for it. What things do I need to, to know about this? And mm-hmm. the thing he said was, what you have to realize is that IPv6 has to go th- from your service provider all the way down to the device level. So you have to have everything between them be able to be ipv6 uh, compatible Mm -hmm. um so you he that was the way he explained it to me and when then he was telling me that you know oh you're going to get a 64-bit address i'm like why the hell would i need that many addresses are you are you kidding me and you know then i looked into it more and I, i understood what he what was actually going on but i was just like wow i mean i know that we're opening up the the space to so many more ip addresses but it's like Man, they're just gonna they're just gonna be giving away huge chunks, and then you know, before you know it, we're gonna need IPv9 because we'll run out of IPv6 <laughs> addresses in ten years.
1: <laughs> yeah, actually, as kind of a subnet geek and a and a sort of, I, whenever I've had public IPv4 space, it's been so precious, right? So to yeah. me, like a, allocating a slash sixty four, even for like a VLAN or a subnet, seems absurd. Like. Yeah. Oh, I want to allocate like a slash ninety-six or a one twelve. Like I want to save space. Yeah. So yeah, because that, that was that was my scale. thing. I'm
0: like, I'm trying to make <clears throat> smaller subnets. I think large subnets are bad because you have huge broadcast mm-hmm. domains. Why would I want a, a huge why would I want such a huge mm-hmm. address space? But um yeah. yeah, it's 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 really interesting, you know, when you start diving into IPv6, just how different it is from IPv4. Uh, not, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. in the addressing space too, but even just in the architecture of the header too, uh, how much they've cleaned it up, right? They don't have um, yeah. a lot of the bits and pieces that we had from IPv4. They've really cleaned it up, uh, which of course reduces the attack surface, so it does make it a little bit more secure. Uh, but then to think that you know, yeah. I've I don't have the when you whenever I think of IPv4, I'm thinking you know when when it comes to security, yeah, I've got a firewall to block those ports, but I've also got NAT to to. Uh, keep from mm-hmm. any uh, direct incoming connections whereas with ipv6 I'm kind of leaving myself a little bit open there now I'm having to rely on the firewall more so it's you know mm-hmm. it, it sounds to me like for the most of the the audience that i I think I have right for most of my kind of commercial and um you know large organizations i if you're using ipv4 in the inside it's not something I have to give up give up just yet it's really on the service yeah. provider yeah. side it's really on the the large, uh, metropolitan area networks and, and wide area networks that require just that many addresses and that many devices. So this has yeah, been really cool. Exactly. Yeah, Bruce, right was there anything else you wanted to add to, um, add to this here? I know we're, I think we've covered just about everything on the agenda here, but.
1: Yeah. Um, I did want to mention, and this is just personal anecdote about the V4 and V6, um, I've actually, I live north of Seattle in a smaller community of about 17,000. And the community itself is building a fiber optic network and like basically a city run ISP. And, Mm -hmm. and so it's been a a cool experience sort of working with the, the city government on that, where we've had to go and source like a public BGP AS number and, you know, to essentially to turn up users on this fiber to the home network, um, we got V6 address space, no problem. Public address space can connect everybody up, but there's actually a lot of users and a lot of applications that are, you know, still kind of bound or dependent on V4, even you know over the internet. And so we've had to secure some public V4 space as well. And you know, as as you know, all of the um, the numbers registries are they're out, so. If, if you do need to get V4 space at this point, like there's actually this small sort of uh, market, like where you can buy V4 addresses at auction. <laughs> so, no way. Uh, Come on. and there's brokers for that. Yes. <clears throat> so wow. we got to do that. And, uh, uh, but hoping to just go V6 out of the gate for this. And, and again, this is different from an enterprise network where it is like the endpoints themselves are, you know, a bunch of fiber to the home sort of, modems or routers uh so they're directly attached to the internet so it makes sense for those guys to get a v6 address wow
0: yeah no it, it makes sense but as long as those as you mentioned too there's there's going to be some applications and some mm-hmm. some other things that aren't necessarily ready for that i jumped to ipv6 just yet and do require yeah. some some uh existence in the ipv4 space do you do you think and, and this is this is more you know this is off the record right just commentary wise sure um yeah. do you think that the trans that it, it's much more difficult to do any kind of transition when both options are available do you think there'll be any time when um they're just going to have to chop off someone at the knees and say nope no more ipv4 <clears throat> you have to move over to ipv like like look at what they're <clears throat> doing with like tls right uh yeah. firefox they 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 uh they stopped their plan to do this because a lot of government websites were still running on TLS 1.0 and 1.1, but they were mm-hmm. just going to shut off access to 1.0 and 1.1 <laughs> sites. If you yeah. tried to go to them, they were just going to say, "Nope, not going to let you there. They're not secure." Which they're right, but as long mm-hmm. as you have mm-hmm. those older those older other standards, even if they're less secure, like mm-hmm. like the TLS uh, um, TLS scenario, mm-hmm. they the the transition the the transition doesn't really move underway until you've actually kind of forced their hand to do it. So, do you think there'll ever yeah. be a time when they're just gonna stop IPv four altogether and it's gonna really push push <clears throat> and shove people to get over IPv six?
1: That's a great question. I think I think we're gonna start seeing service providers um, trying to nudge their their customers to to v six um, and charging more and more for v four. Services in V4 transport. So, um, but I I think V4 um, over the internet itself is going to be around for a a couple decades still, at least in some amount. And then private V4 is probably going to be around for forever, where it'll just have to be able to be, you know, whenever it needs to go from like, you know, V4 sort of island over here, private V4 island over here to, you know, the corporate HQ V4 island. It'll just have to tunnel over V six, whether it's right. internet tunnel like SD WAN or or like MPLS or srv six kind of tunnel.
0: Cool. So that would be the only thing that uh we could uh, foresee in the future is as, as uh, an ocean oh moment, right? <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> running around screaming, trying to uh, trying to get all their stuff ready for IPv six, which. Uh, right. I'll, I'll call it here. You can put me on record. It will happen. There will be a day when they'll be like, no what, IPv4, we just can't do it. There's some major security flaw that they find or something breaks and it's just completely detrimental <clears throat> where they have to force IPv4 to be shut down on the internet. It, it'll
1: happen. <laughs> it'll happen. Well, a, a security thing would be the thing that does it, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think that'll be the thing that does it. So, all right. Well, Bruce... Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, when where can people uh, find you? Are you uh, on LinkedIn? Uh, any, anywhere they can connect with you? And
1: um, yeah, basically on, on LinkedIn. I'm <clears throat> I'm not great at social media, um, but I am on that one.
0: Awesome. I'll be sure to put the uh, link to your LinkedIn on the um, on the on the show notes here. Bruce, thank you again so much for your time, and uh, you uh, stay safe out there.
1: Thanks, man. Great to talk with you, Brian.
0: so yeah i I can't thank uh Doug enough for coming on the show here and and chatting with us. It was definitely an insightful conversation um got to learn a lot about i p v six and got get his uh get his take on a few things there again Brian and I don't deal with this kind of stuff in the the segment that we cover with commercial, so this was definitely a little peek behind the curtain and interesting interesting times that we're going through where our internet usage is skyrocketing because of the uh, the globe really working from home um, so it was uh, definitely insightful to to hear about this from uh, Doug today and uh, we hope that you got something out of it uh, we did want to include it's uh, in the show notes but we t- I talked to Doug after the fact and there is a link in the show notes for a segment routing website so segment routing dot segment dash routing dot net a bunch of tutorials and stuff like that to really get your uh, get you used to what that's all about and to learn more if that's something you want to check out. Um, so with that, we'll wrap this one up. And uh, thank you for listening to Conf with with URSE. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, a topic you'd like to suggest, please send us an email at hello at show. And if you like the show, please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues and giving us a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you're not already subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you can get notified when we publish an episode every two weeks. Show notes for this episode can be found on our website at conft.show. That's C-O-N-F-T dot S-H-O-W. As always, stay safe out there, wash your hands, and don't forget to save that config.